Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Resolute Square. Welcome to The Zero Line, produced by Resolute Square. I'm Sergeant Sarah Ashton Cirillo of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, and every week we'll be bringing you inside Ukraine's war for liberty and liberation against the Russian enemy, while explaining how a victory by us on the battlefield isn't just vital for the Ukrainian people, but for the world as a whole. We will push back against the lies regarding this war for freedom and take you straight to the front lines of the fight for democracy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Zero Line. I'm Lisa Senecal, Executive Director of Resolute Square, and I am here again, as always, with Sarah Ashton Cirillo. Sarah, welcome. Lisa, we're still in the same country, and as usual, it's great to be here, but especially to be so close to you and everyone that I work with at Resolute Square. I am wrapping up my work, uh, speaking of that term, wrapping up my work for the Armed Forces of Ukraine here in the nation's capital. I'll be here a few more days. This last week has been focused on media briefings, media outreach. Last week, I made a quick sojourn to New York City, where myself and my commander, Ilya Boschko, spoke to the Foreign Press Correspondents Awards Dinner, where we touched on a very important facet of democracy, and that is the ability for the media to carry out their role as a pillar of freedom, which means giving the media access to stories and allowing them to report even during martial law. And that's one of the false criticisms that Ukraine gets valued at them, which is during martial law, there's no democracy, no freedom. That's incorrect. And that's why we went directly to the journalists themselves in New York City and said, listen, as long as Ukraine exists as a free and sovereign nation, which it will for the next two, three hundred years, then you will be welcomed in Ukraine to carry out your work as journalists, to be able to practice free press, engage in free speech, and ultimately do what's necessary to hold people accountable. Very similar to what's happening in the United States right now, although the United States' journalistic industry is under attack, despite the fact that journalists are still engaged in the most ethical of pursuits. Yeah, I have to say one of the the things that really frustrates me right now in the United States is people who attempt to still put themselves in the category of being journalists like Fox News, OAN, Newsmax, when there are people who are literally going out every day and putting their lives on the line and losing their lives and being taken hostage and held for years by Russia to put yourself in that same category or to not have the courage uh, because you're afraid you're going to lose ratings to speak the truth any longer about what's going on, whether it's Ukraine, Russia, or issues in the United States, and call yourself a journalist is appalling. I can't even call myself a journalist any longer. I'm a writer. I'm an author. I'm a columnist. But I'm most definitely not a journalist. Once I chose to join the armed forces of Ukraine, I understood 
that for the next 40 years or 50 years that I'm writing, people are going to look at me wondering what my angle is because I've taken such a, a strong stance with Ukraine's fight for freedom, liberty, and liberation. The real journalists out there understand that part of their ethical and moral fiber and core is that no matter their own personal views, they can't pick a side. They have to report the truth. So when you have a company such as Right Side Broadcasting, I'm bringing up Right Side Broadcasting because they were in Nevada, they were in Carson City, my home state, during the time of the fake electors. They broadcast the entire crime. And then what do they attempt to do? They pull down the footage. However, being that that's where my journalistic chops were, were started, I had saved the footage and now you can see it online on my Twitter feed. It's out there. Obviously, the Attorney General had it and, and the J6 Commission had it as well after the fact. But I said, this is history. And I didn't trust them to not go ahead and, and try to cover their tracks because you understood what was happening, you understood it was a crime. Ultimately, they can't compare themselves to the Austin Tices, who's been held more than 11 years by Syrian terrorists. They can't compare themselves to Evan, who's out there in the far east of Russia, where the United States State Department is attempting to bring him back. And the more Russia understands that free press still matters in the U.S., the higher they're, they're putting the price on his literal head. And so when you do have people like OAN, Right Side Broadcasting, et cetera, going out there and pushing their agenda, that's fine. It can be a business. They're allowed to do it. It falls under the First Amendment. Say whatever they want, but don't call them journalists. They're not journalists. Right. There is, there is a very bright line between being a journalist and being a propagandist. And you can watch any day you want, but I wouldn't spend a lot of time doing it, watching uh, Russian state television and you can see uh, the similarities with some of those outlets in the United States with what Russian propaganda looks like on television. And you can see the very great difference between serious journalists who have a deep respect and sense of obligation for what their profession means to a free and democratic society and the hacks who will say what they need to say to promote the people in power because they want to stay on their good side and either you know increase their their power or increase their bank accounts and if it's about the money we live in a capitalist society it can be about the money but again to use the term journalist is to erode the idea of journalism and media and what the press is about to give you an idea, and, and more about this will come out in the coming days regarding my work for the armed forces of Ukraine, but the journalists are so valued in Ukraine that as I started to begin my, uh, my work with the army and become closer in my collaboration with the army before I officially signed up, I stopped writing columns for LGBTQ Nation. I stopped writing columns for others due to the fact that I didn't want the term journalist to be slandered, nor did my commanders. That's one of the reasons why I was not put in until October, although my last byline came out in August, because ultimately we needed to have that space. Now, it could have been looked at as a, maybe a small thing, but it was something important to us to say, Sarah's no longer a journalist. She's going ahead and now she is a service person. Furthermore, you were talking about Russian propaganda and state television. 
One of the reasons that I was brought up on terrorism investigation by the Russian FSB and the Russian Duma was because I was so effective as a disinformation agent and as a strategic communications agent for the armed forces of Ukraine. My character, and let's call it what it is, my character on Russia Hates the Truth, my character as the so-called spokesperson of the armed forces of Ukraine was created by me and my command to elicit this emotive reaction from the Russians simply because we understood that they couldn't tell the difference between journalists and propaganda, and they fell for it. Ultimately, that's why even after it was announced that I was no longer, quote, suspended, that I went ahead and was promoted into this new assignment with the general staff of the army, because the idea is, could it still be effective? And we didn't, again, want to confuse the fact that here I was not a journalist, I was not engaging in media, I was truly engaging in information warfare against the enemy. My problem is that everyone takes this moral high ground. So while I'll look into the camera and admit to what we were doing and stating clearly, I'm no longer a journalist. I can never call myself a journalist again. I am, was not actually, in, in some sense, the spokesperson. I was a character meant to inflict damages against the Russians, which it did. It took up so much of their time and energy and effort. It freed President Zelensky and it freed others to carry out their tasks. My job was as an information foot soldier. When we have people who are using the term journalist and inverting it, it's doing significant damage, even greater damage than what we could get from proper journalists. Good propaganda only goes so far. Bad propaganda kills. And ultimately, they have inverted the term journalist. They're pushing this propaganda as if they are purveyors of the truth. But in fact, we're finding them out. We're disrobing them. We're disarming them. And ultimately, when democracy is stabilized in the United States, stabilized across Europe and the world, the free press are going to be able to write about what they've gone through in order to be able to stabilize the democracy as one of the pillars of freedom that the media is. When I was in middle school, high school, college, working for school papers, but we had an education in school about what journalism was. We had journalism classes for even people who weren't going to become journalists. And I I think the sense in the United States or the, the understanding of that separation of journalism and propaganda has become really blurred. So even though people who consume uh, so much of the far right media, most of those people don't refer to themselves as journalists. And but because they're on television and they're talking about current events, we now make the assumption that they are journalists or some in the United States make the assumption and that they're speaking the truth and it's not just propaganda. What do you think in Ukraine the level of understanding is of the, where that line is and how important a free press is to them being able to have a, a stable democracy? Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. 
Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. There is nothing more important in Ukraine than a free press in order to stabilize democracy. Again, that's one of the reasons that my commander and I were sent over here on our mini delegation. While it overlapped with the uh, larger delegation, we were sent over to do briefings with large media outlets. We were sent over to speak directly with journalists who had concerns as to what was happening with free press. Our message was clear. Our message will continue to be clear. In Ukraine, journalists are welcome to do their jobs. One of the things that angers me, and I'm going to use this term, angers me, is when social media, even on the side of Ukraine, will attack the journalists for doing their jobs. Allow me as a columnist to make the argument 100% of the time for Ukraine, if that's what I want to do as a columnist, as an author, as a writer, allow the journalists to carry out their tasks in their profession. Totally different as you brought up just moments ago. Ultimately, the biggest concern for Ukraine when it comes to foreign media is that foreign media will pull out. Why would the New York Times go ahead and spend the significant sum of money that they do in order to have their journalists out there, if their journalists' lives are in danger, by the good side, not even by the Russians. So the Russians kill journalists, and then supporters of democracies will sometimes criticize journalists, not understanding the damage that it can do. When it comes to local journalism in Ukraine, where I think it's at right now, especially because of President Zelensky's crackdown on the oligarchy, which is one of the reasons he was elected with over 70% of the vote in 2019, was to make certain that the oligarchs were not able to just have their mouthpieces out there in media. Now, that concerns me a little bit as a capitalist. It concerns me a little bit as somebody who believes in free press. I'm not someone who's against uh, Citizens United, because again, I think free speech is free speech. However, it can only be successful once it's taken root. And in Ukraine right now, it hasn't taken root enough And I think journalists are still sometimes a little bit too concerned about writing certain stories because of the blowback that they would get either from private industry, from people on the streets or from the government themselves. And so we need to be able to strengthen journalism locally in Ukraine to get it to the point where the journalists can go out and do their job without fear of repercussion beyond an angry letter and an email, you know, the criticisms that journalists get, but not risking getting their license pulled away if, you know, if they have credentials to go to the front lines, not risking their media company being shut down, which is something that happened when uh, the Kiev Post, which still exists, was purchased by an oligarch. They lost their editorial freedom. And so instead of bowing down to that, many of the former Kiev Post writers went ahead and created Kiev Independent. So ultimately, now you have Kiev Post, you have Kiev Independent. And to me, that's healthy. The more people in journalism, the healthier it is for democracy. But we need to get it to that point where journalists themselves are not afraid of their jobs because their title is journalist. And that, I think, is where we need to get to in this next five-year period inside of Ukraine. There's a lot of money in being a columnist. More money maybe in being a columnist and being an opinion maker and being a talking head than there is in being a journalist as well. Furthermore, despite the proliferation of self-publishing templates such as Substack or Medium, it's very hard for journalists to make a decent living 
unless they're employed by one of the corporations. And as so many of the hedge funds come out here and, and, and buy out the corporations, we're dealing with that. And so, again, if somebody can make money being a columnist versus being a journalist, they're going to have to look out what's best for them and their families as well. And so we need to stabilize the economics of journalism as well moving forward. Completely agree. And I would love to see us return to a time where we have a much broader swath of representation in journalism. We we tend to have journalists coming out of more urban areas. Our small papers, regional newspapers have really deeply suffered um, in the past couple of decades. And so you get a certain perspective, even if reporters are going from New York City out into Midwestern towns, you still have a filter there that you don't realize you necessarily have. And it's different than having reporters who have grown up in other places and bring that natural perspective and understanding of the places that they're reporting on. Do you see that difference um, in Ukraine when it's stories being written by Ukrainian reporters versus international press? Is there just a level of understanding that the people who actually live in Ukraine are the only ones that can provide? There's no more simple way to put it. Everyone should be listening to Ukrainians first. Again, while I had a very large media presence, still do to some extent, even though my role has changed, I was a soldier carrying out my duties in, in weaponization of communications in the information warfare space. Outside of that, if you're going to be reading the news in Ukraine, you should be reading Ukrainian news first. That means Ukrainian journalists who are understanding the nuance, be it in Kyiv, be it somebody in the Transcarpathians, be it someone in the Donbass. There's micro niche areas of journalism in Ukraine where it's the best reporting in Europe because they're reporting on the largest full-scale invasion, full-scale ground war in 90 years, and they're doing it in a way that their countrymen can understand and that we can understand easily if we engage them. And with Google Translate, although you lose some of the nuance there with Google Translate, you're still able to get multiple layers deeper. Now, where do we need the New York Times? Where do we need the Washington Post? We need them to cover the larger stories that need the reporting that has to have be backed up by fact checkers, by investigative teams, by lawyers. So if they put out a story, they're protected and they can fight back against it. But when it comes to the niche journalism, which is really the fabric that holds democracy together, then these local Ukrainian journalists are the go-to sources. Ultimately, we're seeing in the United States, one of the problems with local journalism is that because journalists are no longer revered and, in fact, are looked upon by some as the enemy, you'll find lawsuits being thrown at them that publishers just can't defend against. And so this is quelching the First Amendment in ways that the founding fathers could have never imagined. It's a bastardization of the legal process to take the right to engage in the rule of law, which is where our court system is, and to use it to bludgeon the First Amendment. Now, ultimately, what I would really prefer to see is, is investors find a model to be able to go into these flyover states, to go into these local communities, buy up these papers and mount a defense of the First Amendment, mount a defense of journalism. 
my view, and, and this may be something that is looked at through the rose-colored glasses, but my view is that if the journalism is there, the money and revenue stream will come in as well because local advertisers will be able to go ahead and say, hey, we want to support this mid-level paper. We want to support this community of 100,000 people. Let's go ahead and be grateful that we have these journalists here. And if we have the firewall up between the advertising sector of it, as well as the editorial and the writing sector, the three, you know, the three walls up between them, then that will also help create a revitalization in the United States of journalism. And again, that's what we need in Ukraine as well. And that's why I recommend anyone who's interested in what's happening in Ukraine or happening in the Baltics. Some of my closest friends are foreign journalists, not from the U.S. They're from the Baltic states. They're from Latvia, Lithuania. They're from Estonia. Poland. And they, too, have an understanding of nuance with local elections, with the different uh, members of parliament that will be coming in. Why are things happening? We need those voices to be heard, especially in an interconnected uh, society that we live in now. And that reporting is so important to read right now because it it gives perspective to this sort of slow slide from democracy to autocracy. These are places that have lived it. Some of them have gone through it and are coming out the other side. Like I certainly hope Poland continues to be, but I think in the United States, it's very easy if people aren't hyper tuned into this all the time to be um, either ignorant of it or dismissive of the true risk that is happening with a slide toward autocracy in the United States, because we we don't have that frame of reference. We haven't seen it coming before. And a lot of these journalists live in places that they've seen it multiple rounds um, in different countries that they've been covering, and they can pick out the patterns and identify them for us. And it's really important that we are getting that, you know, these are the four pillars. These are the things that happen. These are the things that crumble. This is where the United States is. Pay attention to that because it's not many more steps until we're trying to figure out how to fight to get our democracy back instead of fighting to not lose it. On a personal note, to drive home the point of what Eastern European journalists, Ukrainians and others, why they are so passionate about their job in the traditional sense of journalism. I don't want to say which country, but unfortunately, multiple countries fit the bill. So my sources are protected. I had journalists come up to me in the spring and they said the poll numbers of a certain election don't look good. If the election turns out this way, are you going to revoke our credentials? Because we'll be now looked at as being part of the opposition. And I, I said, not only would we never do that, you guys could work out of here as long as you want. And you'll have a safe space because Ukraine will be this haven for free speech, will be this haven for journalism. And then it happened again. And I realized it, when it wasn't just a one-off, we had to take it seriously. So I went to my commander and we started to institute certain policies internally to make sure that journalists were looked upon based on their work, not based upon the country they were coming from. And this means that if you are a journalist from China and from the People's Republic of China, you're welcome as long as you're going to write a fair story. If you are a journalist from Slovakia, where the elections have changed, you're welcome. 
Holland where we don't know what's going to, you're still welcome because ultimately we have to trust the journalists themselves to be able to carry out their work regardless of the political situation. However, when autocracy doesn't just creep in, but autocracy arrives, that's when the chill begins in a way that's unfathomable. And that's what we have to truly be willing to fight against now. We're going to leave it there. Everybody, check your sources. Pay attention to to what you're reading and consuming. It really does matter. Politics is not supposed to be sport or entertainment. It it was uh, higher functioning when it was boring and we didn't think about it very often. I would love for politics to get boring again and be about policy. So thank you. We are going to be back here again next Thursday at the Zero Line on Resolute Square. Please, everybody, follow uh, the enemies list, that trippy show. Tune in every Tuesday evening at 7 Eastern for strategy session. Um, great conversations happening there. And please consider becoming a member. It's support um, from our members that allows us to have the amazing group of journalists and commentators and folks like Sarah that we are bringing to you regularly. So thank you again, Sarah, so much for being here and for everybody listening. Thank you, Lisa. We will see you next Thursday. Thank you for listening to The Zero Line, a podcast brought to you by Resolute Square. Resolute Square's mission is to inform, lead, and connect. And the Zero Line is one of the tools that followers of Resolute Square can use to fight back against tyranny while championing democracy. Please like and subscribe to the Zero Line wherever you podcast and follow us on Twitter at Resolute Square or visit ResoluteSquare.com. Thanks once more for hanging out at the Zero Line.